This morning I will be reading from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Good morning and welcome again to our worship service. We're grateful for your presence. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7, the passage that Chris read just a moment ago. Before we do that, we do want to take this opportunity to welcome those who may be visiting. We have a number of our own people away for the holiday uh, weekend, and for them we pray that they might have a safe return. If you are traveling today, we do pray that you will safely arrive at your destination. If you're in the process of looking for a church home, we want to invite you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have and give consideration to the work here. I know that the elders here would be more than happy to sit down and talk with you about the great work and things that are going on here at Olive Branch. Today we're going to be talking about redemption. If you wanted to sum up what the Bible is all about, it would be redemption. As a matter of fact, when you begin to look at the Old and New Testaments, you find that both of those covenants, both of those testaments emphasize redemption. God is about redeeming sinful mankind. Sometimes we talk about the scarlet thread of redemption, and truly, God's redemptive plan runs from Genesis to Revelation. And so today we want to take a look at what the Bible has to say concerning redemption. And Paul elaborates on this great theme in chapter 1 of his book to the saints in Ephesus. The first thing that I would call your attention to as we look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7, has to do with God's plan of redemption. And really when you talk about God's plan of redemption, what you need to understand is He is the one who is the architect of all of our blessings. This great plan that we read about in the Bible, His plan of redemption, was devised by Him. You see, God made a choice in the long ago, and that choice was to redeem the crown of His creation, that being us, those of us who are members of the human family. God made a choice a long time ago to save the human family from the scourge of sin through His Son, Jesus Christ. Take, for example, what Paul writes in Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 3. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is the one who has lavished upon us this great plan of redemption. In verse 4, he said, Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. It was God's plan. As a matter of fact, you can read, for example, in the book of Revelation, chapter 13, verse 8. 
of where John writes of the Lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. In other words, God had this plan in mind before he ever framed the world. And then also when Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1, in verse 18 he tells us that we have been redeemed not by corruptible things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He goes on to say, who verily was foreordained before the world began. In other words, God's plan to redeem lost humanity was in place before he ever created us, before he ever laid the foundation of this world. Well, what about the placement of this plan, this great plan of redemption? When did God put this plan in place? Well, we said just a moment ago that his plan was in place before the foundation of the world, before he ever created the world, the galaxies around this great universe. This plan was in place. But then he began to unveil this plan through prophecy. And you and I, we can pick up, say, in Genesis chapter 3. And beginning in Genesis chapter 3, following the fall of his creation, Adam and Eve, God set forth what is called the promised seed in chapter 3, verse 15. And bit by bit, piece by piece, God begins unveiling this plan of redemption through prophecy. Over in chapter 12, God calls on a man by the name of Abraham. And he said in verse 3 that in you shall all families of the earth be blessed. The primary fulfillment of that prophecy given centuries ago would ultimately be in Jesus Christ. Because in Galatians chapter 3, Paul said, If you are Christ, then are you Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. And so those who are in Christ today, they are heirs of this great promise made to Abraham. Now God began un unveiling this plan back in Genesis 3.15. And we find that seed line emerging through the descendants of the Hebrew nation, through Abraham's seed. Over in 2 Samuel, in chapter 7, the Bible speaks of this seed line running through the family of of David. Again, emphasis on the coming plan of redemption, God unveiling this redemptive plan to save the human family. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14, Isaiah foretold of the virgin birth, that is, God who would inhabit human flesh. We know that the second member of the Godhead, Jesus Christ, would ultimately be born into this world. And we can read of that in Matthew chapter 1. Over in chapter 9, verse 6, Isaiah said, Unto us a son is born, a child is given. He said he shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. In chapter 53, Isaiah foretells of the suffering servant, the fact that Jesus Christ would bear the sins and the iniquities of fallen humanity. So over and over again, the Old Testament is replete with prophecies concerning 
this coming plan of redemption, the fact that God's Son would come into this world. Now look, if you would, at Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians 1 verse 3, Paul said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now listen to him. Verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestined or foreordained us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. What's God saying there through the writing of Paul? He's simply saying that before he ever laid the foundation of the world, and this is what we've been trying to emphasize, God had a plan in place. Well, what was that plan of redemption? It was to save the human family. Where? In Christ Jesus, through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That was his plan of redemption. Now, secondly, let's talk about praise for his redemption. And really, we're talking about the adoration that should be given unto God for all of these great blessings. When you and I step back and contemplate the vast array of blessings that God has bestowed on us, we should literally fall to our knees in thanksgiving to Him. Look, if you would, at what Paul says in verse 3. In verse 3, again, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, or with all spiritual blessings. Every spiritual blessing known to mankind is available because of what God has done for us. What about this idea of thanksgiving? Is it not the case that you and I should be a grateful people? Take, for example, what Paul wrote to, to the church at Colossae. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 12, he said, Giving thanks unto the Father, who has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. In other words, through Jesus Christ, God has qualified us. He's made it possible for us to partake of this inheritance available only in Jesus Christ. And so you and I should respond with a heart of gratitude. What about our thankfulness to God? Let me suggest that first of all we should thank God for His grace. The Bible talks often about the grace of God. The book of Ephesians accentuates God's grace. Look if you would at what he says in Ephesians 2 at verse 4. But God who is rich in mercy for the great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. God has lavished on us the bounty of his grace. Grace being the unmerited favor of God, God doing for us what we as human beings are unable to do for ourselves. We are saved because of the grace of God. The fact that God's grace has been lavished upon the human family. The first time that we read about grace, explicitly stated, is in chapter 6 of the book of Genesis. In that context, God was about to destroy the world 
the world in which Noah lived. And the Bible says concerning Noah that he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But really you can, you can read about the grace of God back in Genesis chapter 3 because to the first couple God had said they were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because when you eat thereof you will surely die. When Adam and Eve transgressed the law of God in the Garden of Eden, physical death came upon the first family. And not just physical death, but also spiritual death. And so Paul points that out in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Through one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, for that all have sinned. And so, you and I, we need to be thankful for the grace of God. Note, if you would, what he says, beginning in verse 6 of chapter 2. The Bible tells us that God raised us up together, made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The riches of God's grace, the bounty of God's grace, the lavish blessings of His grace. And then in verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. All right, go back now, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 1, and note what it says. In verse 6, we talk about praising God for this great scheme of redemption. The adoration that is due Him for our blessings. Paul writes, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. And so, we thank God for His grace. We thank Him also for His goodness. The Bible tells us in Psalm 100 at verse 5, speaking of the Lord, for He is good, the goodness of God. Think about the life of Paul. Paul had been a persecutor of Christians. When Stephen was put to death, the Bible tells us that they laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul was consenting to his death. That's what Luke tells us in chapter 8 of the book of Acts. When, when Saul, or Paul as you and I know him after his conversion, recounted his past life as a persecutor of the church, he said in Acts chapter 26 verse 9, I verily thought within myself to do all things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Paul did everything he could to destroy the church of the living God. And yet, the Lord appeared, on, appeared to him on the road to Damascus. He was later baptized into Christ, saved from sin. If anyone understood the grace and goodness of God, it had to have been Paul. And I think that's why I could write in verse 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace, what God has done for us. And so we give God thanks for His grace, for His goodness, and for His greatness. 
The psalmist said in Psalm 147 at verse 5, Great is the Lord, mighty in power, infinite in wisdom. Now you just think about a being so great, so vast in intellect, that he can literally bring this plan to fruition. You know, there are a lot of people in our world today that they embark upon certain ideas or certain plans. They're trying to put those plans into, into practice. Or maybe they, they've devised some kind of plan. Maybe they've come up with some idea. And thus, as a result of the birth of that plan or idea, they try to bring it to fruition. And they fail. Not because it wasn't a good idea, but maybe because they didn't have the resources, maybe because they didn't have the manpower, maybe because the timing wasn't right, whatever the case may be. That wasn't, that wasn't the case with God. No, God put this plan in place. And once he put this plan in place, he had the power, he had the wisdom to bring it to fruition. He brought it home to mankind. I like the words of the psalmist in Psalm 126 at verse 3. He speaks of what great things the Lord has done for us. We need to be grateful that a God who is described as great has brought this plan to fruition. Where would we be without it? What would our fate be? Well, we'd be lost. We would be, as Paul said, without hope and without God in this world. And so we think about this great plan that was put into place. His plan of redemption, praise for redemption, but then thirdly, the place of redemption. And here we're talking about how do we access this redemptive plan? How can you and I benefit from God's plan of redemption? You see, I believe that you and I, we need to look at the Bible. We need to understand what the Bible is saying to us, what the writer intended to say to his audience, that is, to those to whom it was originally penned. But ultimately, we need to ask, what does it mean to us? What's the application for us? How can we derive the benefits and the blessings that we read about in Ephesians chapter 1? Well, look at verse 7. In verse 7, the Bible says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. How then do we access these blessings? Well, there's only one way to access them. And that is, we must look to Christ. He is our only hope. Do you remember when Jesus was upon this earth, what he said, recorded by John in chapter 14, verse 6? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Luke tells us in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. If we're going to be saved, we have to be saved in and through Jesus Christ. He's the only hope we have. All right, since Christ is our only hope, how then do we access 
these great blessings? Well, first of all, I want you to note something. Look at what he says in verse 7. We're talking about redemption. God's great plan of redemption. Paul said, in him or in whom we have redemption through his blood. The basis of our redemption is the blood of Jesus Christ. All right? So we have this great reservoir of blessings over here. These blessings are tied to the blood of Christ. Here's the question. How are we going to access them? How are you and I going to somehow gain access to this great reservoir of blessings made possible through the shed blood of Jesus Christ? Well, it's possible to access them. The Bible tells us how to access, access them. And maybe the question is, have we accessed them? Let me tell you what the Bible says. The Bible tells us that we have been saved by the blood of Christ. That's what Paul is making known in verse 7 of chapter 1. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5, he writes, Unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins by his own blood. So we're saved by the blood of Christ. How do we appropriate that blood? How do we gain access to God's grace? How do we taste of his mercy? How do we come in contact with this great host of spiritual blessings that Paul talks about in verse 3? Well, first of all, we have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. There are some people that would, would say Jesus was a good man. There are individuals in our world that would no doubt tell you that Christ was a tremendous teacher, that he made a difference in the world in which he, in which he lived. Some would see him as one who simply pled for social justice. Some might see in him an individual of good works. And while he was all of that and more, ultimately he was and is the Son of God. And you and I, we have to come to believe that. Jesus said, except you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins, John 8, verse 24. We have to believe that he is the Son of God. Then we have to turn through repentance to Almighty God. Repentance is simply an about face, a change of life. And Jesus said, except you repent, you'll all likewise perish. Then the Bible tells us we must confess with our mouth what we believe in our heart. The Bible talks about that in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, but we're not finished. The Bible then says we must be baptized into Jesus Christ. Why be baptized into Jesus Christ? Because that's when we gain access to his blood. When Paul recounted his conversion story in Acts 22, verse 16, he said, Arise and be baptized. This is what Ananias said to him. And wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now, when you're baptized into Jesus Christ, what happens? 
you contact the blood of Christ. Why do you need the blood, the blood of Christ? Because that's what washes away sins. Where was the blood of Christ shed? It was shed in his death, John 19, 34. That's why Paul said in Romans chapter 6, Know ye not that all we who are baptized were baptized into his death. When you're baptized into Christ, you come in contact with his blood. Furthermore, God then adds you to his body. That is the body of Christ. Now there are a lot of people today that have the idea that you don't need to be a member of the church to go to heaven. What they say is that you can have a relationship with Jesus, but you don't need to have a relationship with the church. The two are inseparable. If you're in Christ, you're in the church. If you're in the church, you're in Christ. How do I know that? Here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. By one spirit were you all baptized into one body. When you're baptized into Christ, you are placed in the body. All right? What's the body? Look at Ephesians 1, verse 22. He put all things in subjection under his feet, made him to be head over all things to the church. Listen to him. Which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. All right? How many bodies are there? The Bible says in Ephesians 4, verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. So what are we saying? If you want to contact the blood of Christ, you have to be baptized into Christ. When you're baptized into Christ, and we're not talking about just baptism only, but rather we're talking about baptism that is preceded by faith, repentance, confession, then God adds you to that body. Why be in the body? Because he's the Savior of the body, Ephesians 5.23. You can't be saved outside the body. No more so than you can be saved outside of Christ Jesus. And so when you're baptized, you're then placed in his body. And then the Bible becomes, becomes your only governing standard for how you live in this life. That's why when Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he said, Be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. God's marvelous plan of redemption. Here's the question. Have you been redeemed? Do you enjoy the redemption that is in Christ Jesus? I think about the Bible as literally a love story to the human family. The Hebrew writer asked this question centuries ago. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? God's salvation is great. And God has made it abundantly clear that he loves us, that he wants us to be saved. The Bible tells us God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What about you today? Have you obeyed the gospel? If not, why not do that today? If you're unfaithful, why not come home? Why not come back to a loving God who will abundantly pardon, who will once again restore you to fellowship with him? Would you come as we stand and sing?